Hi there, and welcome to the Organic Stream Talk Show. I'm your host, Aline Murphy, and this is episode three of our multi-story building special. Before we jump in, I'd just like to mention an exciting event coming up very soon that we're partnering with this year, Ecomondo 2015. Ecomondo showcases advanced and sustainable technology for recycling and processing all kinds of materials. And it's the largest event of its kind in the Euro-Mediterranean area. The focus this year is on the circular economy and there's some great conferences that we're excited about on, for example, technologies for building a zero-waste food chain and sustainable biogas solutions. The conference is taking place very soon, from the 3rd to the 6th of November in Rimini, Italy. If you're interested, please check out the links in the description on our page or just go to ecomondo.com to register. And now, onto the show. On our journey through the planning stages of a multi-storey residential organics collection programme, we've come across many challenges. Some are easy to deal with, Others are still causing difficulties, like the problem with shoots in San Francisco. And it's clear that just like buildings, no two cities are alike. Each have their own history, culture, unique demographics and structure. And all of this will impact how an organics recycling system should be designed. But what connects the cities we've talked to is their determination to succeed their skill in navigating problems, and their drive to improve. And as more and more cities like these start tackling food waste in their apartment buildings, we're creating a whole library of experiences, best practices, and successful strategies to learn from. In the final two episodes, we take a closer look at the cities leading the way and explore the key strategies they use that makes them so successful. Let's jump right in. It's not a matter of a densely populated area relative to a small village. It's a matter for the type of the scheme. We, we really try to listen to the customer rather than thinking we're the experts. We never thought we're going to kick this thing off and it's going to be perfect from the beginning. I don't, I don't want it to be perfect. And so how do we get people to relate differently to their materials? And I think language is a great place to start. Let's jump right in. On this show, we've talked a lot about building relationships with tenants, with building managers, and we're going to kickstart the episode by exploring another essential relationship for any organics program to work, the relationship between the key partners. Because without communication and collaboration between program coordinators, haulers and processors, outreach teams and building managers too, collecting and recycling organics would become an impossible task. It really takes a team effort to make it work. And over the course of producing this show, there was one programme that really stood out in terms of showing us team effort and the importance of building this relationship. I'm taking us back to Los Angeles. (laughs) 
My name is Jessica Aldridge. I'm the Sustainability Manager for Athens Services. I've been there for three years. Hello, my name is Jason Sanders with EcoSafe Zero Waste. Here we are, standing outside the Old Bank District multi-storey building with Jason Sanders and Jessica Aldridge once again, as we get ready to take a tour and learn all about their pilot programme. Probably have a bit of a louder voice. No. No? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Jessica could really be loud. I mean, that's the issue here. Like many Californian cities, LA is working hard to become a sustainable city with their zero waste plan, with recycling targets of 70% by 2020 and 90% by 2025. In terms of residential organics collection, the city offers a limited organics collection programme to 8,700 households. But the pilot programme for residential buildings began only recently. Moving forward with their zero-waste vision, the city is planning to enact a franchise agreement in 2017 to transform how materials are collected from multi-storey buildings. And part of this agreement is for haulers to offer food scrap collection to multi-storey residential buildings. And this is what sparked Athens Services, the main hauler and processor for the city, into action. And so I and, and my crew at Athens wanted to do something ahead of time to figure out how is this going to work? What things are going to work well? What road bumps are we going to come up against? We wanted to try to pick apartment complexes with varying demographics, with varying situations with how their waste is collected, and set up different infrastructure within those to see what works best and what type of outreach works best. Because so for what works here may not work for somewhere else. And so in 2017, when the franchise agreement comes into play in the city of Los Angeles, we will already have had the experience and the resources available to us to say, now we know when I have 10 apartment complexes coming to me saying, I want to do this, I and my crew, the staff at Athens are not going to feel overwhelmed and saying, I've never done this before. So Jessica gives us an insight into their thinking in starting up the program. From here, Jessica and her team started looking for the right partners to work with. And those partners were Global Green USA and EcoSafe Zero Waste. Together, they make an effective team. Jason and Jessica both visit the properties every month to see how the program is working and address any issues together. And when speaking with them, it's clear that all three partners share the same goal for the program. Uh, well, it's just really important uh, for all partners to have a good understanding on what's working and what's not before a mass rollout. And so we've really got to dial in the success factors and then those factors that aren't working and be able to address those. And that's really what this pilot program is doing right now. We work with the apartment managers. We tell them exactly what's going to be happening. And then from there, you have to get the buy-in from the managers as well, that this is something that they want to take on. And, and knowing that this is going to most likely be a long-term pilot until we can get the right feet underneath it. And we knew um, from the beginning, we, we never thought we're going to kick this thing off and it's going to be perfect from the beginning. I don't, I don't want it to be perfect. Well, I want it to be perfect in the end, but I don't want it to be perfect in the beginning. Because if it's perfect from the beginning, you learn very little to be able to move forward to create these programs more so down the road. 
So the pilot acts as a learning experience for all partners. Instead of looking for perfection, you're looking for the challenges. This is how a programme, especially a pilot programme, grows strong. And overcoming these challenges can only happen when all partners understand and share the same purpose. When we sat down to chat in the cafe of the Old Bank District building, we took the time to ask about their partnership and what they considered important when selecting partners and building a strong programme. Really, three crucial partners are always needed. Hauler and processor being one, building manager number two, and then we have us as a partner that has the tools for the program. And if you have a communication outreach partner as well, that always comes in handy, and in this case, Global Green was that partner. Um, and those partnerships valued from the very beginning of designing the program to the program launch to long-term viability of the program. So those partners are together through that entire process. So for a program to work, all key partners need to stick together from the very beginning and all through the process. If there's a lack of communication or a lack of support from any of these partners, the program will suffer. As we saw in LA, all three partners of the pilot program were able to keep communication channels open, learn from each other's experiences, and build a strong foundation for the future when the program expands. Now before we continue with the show, I'd like to thank EcoVO from BASF for making this episode possible. EcoVO is a high quality and versatile bioplastic made by BASF, certified compostable and containing bio-based content. The main areas of use are plastic films, dual-use bags or agricultural films. Compostable packaging solutions such as paper coating and injection molding products can also be produced with EcoVio. For more information, visit their website by clicking on the link in the description on our podcast page. And now, back to the show. Milan, a city of 1.4 million people in the northern Lombardy region of Italy. Milan began rollout of its citywide organics recycling system in November 2012 and is currently the largest city in the world running a formal separate collection scheme for organic materials. It's also the city with the highest capture rates in Europe with an average of 95 kilograms, or just over 200 pounds, of food waste being collected per inhabitant every year. On top of this, almost 90% of the population in Milan lives in multi-storey residences. And still the contamination rate stays below 5%. Let's discuss a little bit how the system operates. In the multi-storey buildings themselves, it's quite standardised. Tenants collect their food scraps in kitchen caddies and bring these down to the common waste room to throw into wheelie bins. 
Then the bins are brought to the curb twice a week on certain days for pickup. It's important to note here that Milan operates a curbside collection scheme or door-to-door -door collection scheme. This is the system used in all the cities we've talked to and for good reason. By collecting from each household or building, haulers and program coordinators can track who is participating and who isn't. They can more easily reward those who are doing it right and target those who are doing it wrong. In Milan, this means a fine for contamination and for a multi-storey building, the fine is shared among the tenants, which gives them all a reason to recycle properly. And to encourage good performance, neighbourhoods can also compete for prize money for local schools. Let's compare this with a more traditional ring system now, where people put their organics in roadside containers or a fixed spot somewhere in the city or outside the building. In this kind of system, there's no control over how well sorted the materials are. Because it's impossible to know who puts what inside it, it means that people can contaminate the stream without fear of consequences. For example, the Bring system for organics in Barcelona, Spain, experiences a contamination rate between 15 and 30%, which is much higher than Milan. Because of this anonymity as well, cities lose the ability to target offenders and also to reward those who do well. So while curbside collection systems are relatively new to cities, they are proving to be a great way to ensure success for organics recycling programs. And this is the case in Milan. The scheme is also known for being quite popular with residents, and this popularity is a result of a very smooth and well-coordinated rollout strategy. But how did a city with so many multi-storey residential buildings manage to roll out so smoothly? Well, you know, we did a customer satisfaction analysis last year and we came up with very intriguing results. This is Enzo Favoino, researcher and advisor of the Scuola Agraria del Parco di Monza in Italy and coordinator of the Working Group on Composting and Sustainable Waste Management. 79% of the population declared supportive to this system, with a critical area of those uh, showing unhappy, only totaling 7% of the population. Enzo and his team played an instrumental role in helping the city of Milan implement their organics recycling scheme. During our call in the summer, I asked Enzo to tell us all about their strategy and the critical factors for their success. So we did uh, a couple of campaigns in order to test the contamination rate and the outcomes were very, very, very satisfactory because basically in, in all the situations we found more than 95% purity of uh, the collected food waste which puts Milan basically in line with the outcomes of the bordering municipalities. So, so it's not a matter of a densely populated area relative to a small village. It's a matter for the type of the scheme. I wanted to start with this clip because it straight away hones in on the key element for success. Milan is a big and very dense city. But even with these challenges and with so many high-rises, they were able to match the border municipalities' low contamination rates and keep the system running well. Enzo is saying that the size doesn't matter, but the type of scheme does. So what type of scheme do we need? 
if it generates comfortability for the people, they will participate and they will adopt the proper care for the system to be run. We tend to, to believe that, you know, we can't ask people to provide excess efforts. We don't want it to be made painful for them to participate in separate collection. So it has to be made as user-friendly as possible. Now this brings us back to that old mantra, convenience is king. So what was it that Milan did to make their scheme as convenient as possible for residents? First of all, let me mention that Milan was divided into four quarters, each of which was totaling a population of 350,000 people. And so the scheme was implemented by steps, with the first step covering the first quarter, 350,000 people in November 2012, then the second quarter in June 2013, the third quarter December 2013, and the fourth quarter in June 2014. So in slightly more than one and a half years, we could cover 100% of the population. Uh, Whenever we implemented the system in a new area, we gave a starter kit to the households, which was including the kitchen caddies in order to have a, a good, clean management of the organics in the kitchen, and a starting roll of uh, 50 bio bags. Uh, 50 bio bags basically may cover the need of half a year because in Milan we have got uh, two collection rounds per week. So we normally would need 100 bags a year per household. But we gave them only 50 for the first six months uh, because now the system in Italy is uh, fundamentally supported by the fact that Italy was the first country in Europe to adopt a full ban on polyethylene shopping bags. So now in all the supermarkets, you may get a shopping bag which is biodegradable. So you use it once as a shopping bag and uh, the second time as a liner for the kitchen caddy during the collection of, of uh, bio-waste. Enzo is giving us a few points here to think about. First, the polyethylene shopping bag ban in Milan increased the level of convenience for tenants. We know from episode two the problem that New York is facing when people can't afford or can't find biobags and they end up using polyethylene plastic bags instead. Another point of interest here is the delivery of biobags and kitchen caddies before rollout. This is very convenient for tenants first of all, but both biobags and kitchen caddies are also great tools for tackling the infamous yuck factor, which can often make people squeamish about handling organic materials. Yuck was not a main issue for these appointments. That's basically because the use of the biobags is incredibly helpful in this respect. We also used some vented kitchen caddies because using transpirability of the biobags and the vents in the kitchen caddies, we tend to lose up to 20% of the whole weight of food waste in terms of uh, water vapor, which goes outside. So we tend to have only small amounts, if any, of uh, leakage at the bottom of the biobags. But in any case, it's fully kept by the biobags, so they skip the system tidy. Now, we can't finish talking about convenience factors in Milan without mentioning one of the biggest contributors, the closing of chutes by the city. In episode one, we dived into the problem with chutes and how they impact programs like San Francisco's and New York's. 
We used to have the chutes in the past. Of course, the chutes would kill any effort on separate collection because they take responsibility of the household, unfortunately. Now, no new building may have any chutes and they were fully closed in the old buildings. Enzo's words here really drive home how big an impact shoots can have. As he says, it can kill an organics collection program. Inadvertently, Milan's health and safety policy had a positive knock-on effect for the organic system. While San Francisco is currently trying to support building owners in closing their chutes, they face a certain level of resistance from the tenants board. Closing chutes then can be a bit politically challenging, but nevertheless, it has to be said that a policy like Milan's can really help to level the playing field. We take another short break now to also thank EcoSafe Zero Waste for making this episode possible. When planning an organics recycling program for multi-storey buildings, not only do you need custom solutions to suit those specific buildings, you need to address the challenges residents face every day in separating their food scraps and dealing with odours and insect infestations. EcoSafe Zero Waste specialise in designing and implementing source separation programmes for organics and recyclables. From kitchen caddies and zero waste stations to compostable bags and dispenser systems, EcoSafe Zero Waste Solutions will help make your programme a success. For more information, visit their website by clicking on the link in the description on our podcast page. And now, let's get back to the episode. Now, Enzo had some interesting things to say about what goes on in the back end as well. How the material will be collected can have an impact on convenience for residents. In general, weekly collections of organics are recommended. According to a 2009 Organics Working Group report published by the Recycling Council of British Columbia, the Canadian city of Ottawa conducted a survey of collection frequencies of organics programmes across North America. And it was found that those that have a bi-weekly garbage collection and weekly organics collection have a significantly higher diversion rate than those that collect organics bi-weekly instead. The frequency will of course depend on climate and time of year as well. In some places like Milan, it's better to collect food scraps twice a week to keep it convenient for residents. But collections can be expensive. And for this reason, it can sometimes be a challenge to collect so frequently. And Enzo gave some great information on how Milan and many other cities tackle this issue. We consider that what is the operational tradition which is by now consolidated in Italy and other European countries, which considers uh, the different nature of the two main types of organics, namely food waste and garden waste. It's worth considering collecting them separately because on the one hand, uh, with the food waste, we have got a material which shows high fermentability and therefore it needs uh, being collected uh, quite frequently. But it also it's uh, very heavy, uh, and therefore it makes uh, little, if any sense, uh, to use a packer truck. On the other hand, 
we have got a material which is very bulky, such as garden waste, and therefore we should be using a, a compactor in order to collect the garden waste at the curb. Uh, but on the other hand, it's much less fermentable than food waste, so it doesn't make so much sense to collect them together. One of the critical operational points for cost optimization of the system is the use of dedicated trucks to collect food waste. It makes little, if any, sense to use the compactors in order to collect food waste. The compactor is one of the traditional trucks as long as you collect mixed garbage because mixed garbage tends to have a much lower bulk density than food waste itself. So one of the key issues is to consider a different composition of the fleet of vehicles. And in this respect, we know that in many cities in past years, the investment costs were only focused on the purchase of big packer trucks. So my recommendation would be please start considering changing the composition of your fleet at the next procuring procedure for your fleet. That's the most important. So we've gained a lot of insight into best practices for rollout from Milan. But we're not finished yet. The next important part of the rollout strategy is communication of the programme. People need to be prepared for the changes to come. They need to understand why the changes are happening, when they will come into force, and how exactly the scheme will run. In Milan, it's thought that communication works best roughly two months in advance, just enough time for tenants to become familiar with it. Milan began their campaign with street advertising, mailing brochures, launching a website and a free app as well, both of which allowed people to learn more and ask questions about the scheme. Door-to-door delivery of the starter kits began 10 weeks before rollout. This delivery process gave the outreach team an excellent chance to reach residents one-on-one to discuss the changes in person, addressing any concerns straight away. In a multi-storey building where it's often very hard to reach people, this is a really effective strategy. And it worked. Rollout was quite smooth and the residents behaved correctly straight away. This is one of the most important points to take away from the Milan study. If implemented correctly, you can achieve high participation rates straight from the beginning. The trick, it seems, is to maintain that high rate. Now I know we played this in episode 2, but for the final part of this case study, I'd like to take a listen once more to Enzo emphasising this point because it's so important. One thing I would like to stress is that it may seem a paradox But normally we tend to have the best results the very first week we start the system. You know, it's uh, what we call the shocking effect. We literally flood them with information, awareness campaigns. So the very first week we have got always the best results, which goes against the so-called received wisdom, because normally they tell us, no, it will take ages to have people educated. No, they behave right away. Then we have to keep the good level of results because if you don't provide the feedback to people, telling them the way it is working, what are the critical issues, how to improve, and so on and so forth, then there will be some, you know, uh, relaxation from the commitments. But if they get 
targeted every so often with messages, hey, you're doing well, we have saved such an amount of money, and so on and so forth. This helps keeping the good levels, both from uh, the quantitative and the qualitative angle. Throughout the series, we've often defined multi-storey buildings as the final frontier of organics recycling. But Milan demonstrates that this is not always the case. In Milan, the programme ran smoothly right from the beginning. But why did they behave right away, when in other cases it's not so easy? Perhaps it's because it was a city-wide rollout, backed by a system of fines and rewards to encourage people to comply. In the piloting stage, it's much more difficult because people aren't compelled in the same way to behave. And as we've seen, both San Francisco and Seattle are finding it much easier to get people to comply thanks to their government's mandatory policies. But we also can't forget the impact that both the shoot ban and the polyethylene plastic bag ban had in Milan. Both of these made participation much more convenient and helped to reduce the contamination rate in the stream. But is that all there is to it? Is there not also maybe a cultural component to this question? Perhaps programmes in America, for example, are considered harder to enact compared to somewhere like Milan because the culture and the history is quite different. It has been said that the mood was right for citizens in Milan to change since the garbage crisis of the 90s, when trash was piled on the streets, was still in people's memory. These are interesting questions we're asking ourselves right now. We're compiling all these thoughts and we may come back with a follow-up episode in the future. We've come to the end of episode 3 of our multi-story building special. If you have any questions or comments on this latest episode, do get in touch with us. You can contact us on our website, organicstream.org, or on Twitter as well. Our Twitter handle is the Orgstream. Stay tuned for the final episode of this series, where we continue our exploration of best practices from leading cities around the world. In the meantime, keep up the good work.